0: You guys ready for church? Come on! I know it's been gloomy outside the last few days, but God's about to move. Are you ready? Come on! I'm believing that God is going to speak to us this morning. And if you're new, just want to say welcome. Thanks for being here today. Trey's excited in the back; he's like fist pumping. We're ready. All right, it's a good time of worship, good communion, baptism, and now the word. But I do want to encourage you: if you haven't taken active it yet, it is a great way to kind of get launched into the life of our church. And I'm just going to say too: it's not just like like real basic stuff. We really dive in. We really want to set you up for a life of following Jesus. I think it's good for anyone, whether you've been in church your whole life or have never been to church, I believe that Activate is a great first step into our church and it's really a great introduction into discipleship too. So I encourage you to sign up for that, plus you get fed for free, okay? So free food, just do it for that. All right, today we're gonna be in Mark chapter 12. We're on part 45 of the Gospel of Mark series and we're gonna be in verse 28 of Mark 12. And just to kind of refresh your memory, in chapter 11, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, okay, so his entire ministry took place in Galilee, which is in, in northern Israel, and then he comes down to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified, and the first thing he does in Jerusalem is he goes into the temple and he clears it out, okay? He's, he's frustrated, he's provoked at the fact that the religious establishment had made the temple a place that actually kept people from God instead of connecting people to God like it was or like it was supposed to do. So he cleared the temple. And this obviously upset the religious establishment. So in chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11 and then into chapter 12, there's actually a series of tests that the religious leaders uh, put Jesus through. They ask him some hard questions. And first we heard from the Pharisees. They tested him about a question about taxes. And then last week we heard from the Sadducees. And now this week we're gonna see how the scribes Tested Jesus. Okay, they're trying to trap him into saying something that could get him killed. So let's uh, take a look at this. Verse 28. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, there is no commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one and that there's no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Okay, so the sermon title is A War of love. Say War of Loves. All right, let's pray over this. Lord, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for every heart that's here. And God, I pray that no heart would be left untouched this morning, whether that be in person or online. I pray that every heart would be touched. God, I pray that you would speak to every person. God, I pray that each person would encounter your love today. We're praying for a baptism of love, God, like a dunking and immersion in your love this morning. Speak to hearts, Lord. We love you. We thank you for this opportunity to be here. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so what's the most important thing in your life? Okay, what's the most important thing, or, or, or what do you love the most? What's the thing that, that gets your heart? You know, for those who follow Jesus, you know that the answer is supposed to be Jesus, right? That's like the, the church answer, Jesus is my first love. But if we dug in, there's probably a tug of war happening for the top spot in your heart. There's a war of competing loves. And for me, throughout the years, this are different things that fought for the top spot in my heart. So in high school, I was obsessed with getting good grades. I was like really, really freaky about it. I wanted to get all A's and I wanted to achieve everything. I wanted to be the best at everything and and, uh, so or this would look like at night, I would study for hours at a time. And if anyone tried to interrupt me, I was angry. I was like, get out my room, I'm studying. I gotta get an A on this test. My parents know all about that. I was very mean. But, uh, and then when I was in college, I met a girl named Emily Kanoki. And she was the most beautiful girl in the world and she started to compete for my love. I was like, Emily Jesus, Emily Jesus, you know, so. And then when I started in ministry, all of a sudden, this idol of ministry success started to kind of compete for my heart. You can be in ministry for all the wrong reasons. You can be trying to build a church for, for very bad reasons, for pride or for ego, for those kind of things. And, and for a while, there was really a tug of war for do I love Jesus or do I love being in ministry? And then four years ago, when we had our first baby, she started to compete for the top spot in my heart uh, the point is there's is a war of loves happening in each and every one of our hearts. There is a competition taking place for, for top spot. So this morning, what is warring for your love? What's that thing that's fighting to be primary in your life? In the last few chapters of the Gospel of Mark, we've gotten the opportunity to, or to meet different characters, and, and each of these characters have had different competing loves. okay so back in chapter 10 we, we met a man named the rich young ruler and for him he or he was a rich man and he asked Jesus what he needed to do to inherit eternal life and, and Jesus told him he said if you want to follow me you need to sell everything you have give to the poor and come follow me okay so maybe you're here this morning like whoa do i have to sell everything to follow Jesus well for the rich young ruler he needed to because because he could not have both he couldn't have possessions and Jesus his heart could not handle it so Jesus or Jesus was saying, if you want to be my disciple, you're gonna have to give those riches up. You need to to put me first, and that's the only way you're gonna be able to do it is if you give up everything, give up all of your wealth. And he ended up walking away from Jesus. He said, that's too tall of a task. I'm gonna keep my possessions, I'm gonna go my own way. And his example shows us that I think for many of us, the top spot in our heart goes to wealth and security. It's a powerful force that fights to be our primary loves. And maybe this is why Jesus talked about possessions and money so much. He, he famously said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And wealth is not a bad thing in and of itself, but it makes a crummy God. It's not a good God. It simply cannot be the most important thing in your life. If you turn over four verses, you'll see that this war of love also happened in the heart of James and John. They asked Jesus if they could sit at his right hand and his left hand in glory, And for them, personal greatness and achievement was warring for that top spot in their hearts. And I'm sure many people can relate to this. I know that I can. I have this desire that's been in me ever since I can remember to be great. I wanna make an impact in this world. And and being great is not a bad thing, but again, it can't be your ultimate thing. It can't be the main thing. If it's your ultimate thing, you're gonna end up forgetting God and trampling over people to get to the top. But if Jesus is your ultimate thing, then you'll realize that in order to be great, you must be like him and serve as he did. Okay, so if you flip over then to chapter 12, you'll recall the Pharisees who I just talked about a bit. And for them, they followed the rules meticulously and tried to make sure that everyone else was following the rules too. Anyone have a friend like that? It's not just they wanna follow the rules, they're trying to make you follow the rules. You're like, get off my back, dog, come on, I wanna do my thing. They were obsessed with it. They tried to trap Jesus by asking him if they needed to pay taxes to Caesar or not. And Jesus said, give Caesar the taxes, but give God your hearts. Jesus was confronting their obsession with the rules. They wanted to know the rule, but Jesus just wanted their hearts. Behavior and religion is fighting for the top spot in many of our hearts. In an attempt to be good with God, we miss God altogether. We totally miss him in our attempt to actually be good with him. It's certainly not a bad thing to behave rightly. I hope that As you follow Jesus, you'll behave more in the terms of keeping his commandments. But but when behavior comes before God, you will become self-righteous and judgmental towards other people. On the other hand, if you love God and people first and then behave as an overflow of that, you won't look down on others or think you've earned something when you've behaved well. If you go to the, uh, the next story, you'll meet the Sadducees again. You'll remember the Sadducees. And they were closely associated with the priesthood and had a substantial amount of wealth and stature and political power. And they were the elites of the Jewish life and had a lot of control and influence. They tried to make Jesus and his belief in the resurrection look stupid because his movement was threatening their control. And for them, control and power was more important than actually loving God and obeying God. There's a war in so many hearts for control. We don't want to surrender to Jesus, but we wanna keep the power. There can't be two masters of our hearts. There can only be one, and Jesus wants that place. And finally, this week we meet the scribes who, who had extensive knowledge of the law. For the scribes, knowledge was the most important thing. They were obsessed with studying the scriptures and the law. And you see their love of knowledge in their question here. I'm sure many of us can relate with the scribes as well. For, or for many, the most important thing is knowledge. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and your intellectual hangups are what is keeping you from Jesus. Or maybe you are a follower of Jesus and your faith is just entirely in your head. It's entirely intellectual. It's all about getting more Bible knowledge, but not about giving God your heart and actually obeying him. And the sad reality is is you can know all the scriptures, you can have all the knowledge in the world and totally miss Jesus. In John chapter five, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Okay, or maybe this morning you don't relate with any of these things. Maybe for you it's family or friends or entertainment, a hobby, a hobby or sports that is fighting to be primary in your heart, but it doesn't matter what it is. The point is, Jesus wants to be your primary love. He wants to be our first love and does not want to share that place with anyone else. He's not interested in that. He wants all of us. He wants our whole hearts. And when the scribes asked Jesus what the most important commandment was, he said this. He said, the most important is, hear, O Israel, he's he's quoting from Deuteronomy, He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. It's this holistic love of God, every part of you. The most important commandment is to make the one, true, living God the love of your life. It's to love Jesus with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. If you wanna obey God and keep his commandments, if you wanna step into his will for your life, you just need to love him first. If that happens, the rest will take care of itself. If we love Jesus first, the rest will fall into place. Okay, so for me, any time I've wanted to overcome a sin, the solution has not been to try harder or to feel shameful, although you can you know, put your effort in and stuff. That's not all bad, but, but that's not the primary solution. The, or the solution has been to love Jesus more. The more I fall in love with him, the, or the more repulsive sin seems to me because it's repulsive to his heart, and I, I love him, and therefore I don't want something that is gonna hurt his heart. The solution has been to, to fall deeper in love with Jesus in such a way that I can't help but to live more holy. Okay, St. Augustine, he said this, he said, love and do as you like. Whew, love and then do as you like. If you genuinely love Jesus first, you'll be able to do what you want because you wanna do the right things. Man, that'll preach, which is what I'm doing right now. Come on, somebody. (laughs) So keeping the commandments and obeying the law is simply an expression of our love for God. If we love God, we'll keep the commandments. It's a natural overflow. James Edwards says this. He says, for Jesus, love fulfills the law. Love for God releases the love of God. As you fall in love with him, it just releases the love of God out from you. On the other end, all sin and disobedience is rooted in not loving God enough. If you wanna grow in, holy, in holiness, make Jesus the primary affection of your heart. Tim Keller in his book, Making Sense of God, draws from St. Augustine's teachings to make this point. He asserts that what we love shapes who we become. Okay, so the things you love, they're gonna shape who you become. Our behavior And character is not shaped primarily by what we believe or think or even do, but by what we love. Okay, so St. Augustine said this again. He said, he said, for when we ask whether somebody is a good person, we're not asking what he believes or hopes for, but what he loves. If we want to live holy lives, we must love the right things in the right order. Okay, so Tim Keller, he referred to this idea as ordered loves or disordered loves, okay? So holiness, it it flows from ordered loves, you got the right things in the right order, and sin flows from disordered loves, you got some things all wonky, things are out of whack, out of shape. For example, if you look at my example earlier that I shared in my academics, I think my anger towards my parents was rooted in loving the wrong things first, okay? So I loved achievement more than I loved honoring my parents. And the solution for uh, the sin that came from that desire is not to stop desiring to achieve, but it's to love Jesus more than I love to achieve. Do you got that, right? It's, it's to love Jesus more than we love these other things. I believe we often love less important things more than we should, and more important things less than we should, and this does damage to our lives. And I really think that's a big problem in the American church specifically is we just love uh, worldly things way too much, and we don't love Jesus enough. But it's not just love for God that we're called to. We're also called to love people. Okay, so in verse 31, Jesus takes it a step further. He was only asked for the greatest commandment, but he gives a second one. He's like, I'm gonna keep preaching here. He says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Okay, so he's saying we shouldn't just love God, but we also need to love people. To Jesus, these two loves are closely linked. They are linked together. In James Edwards' commentary, I just quoted him, but in his commentary, he asserts that Jesus was the first rabbi to ever combine loving God and loving people. It appears that there was no rabbi before Jesus that did this. There's no rabbi that, or that made love for God and people the center of the law. So this is a groundbreaking thing that Jesus is saying here. He's saying you cannot separate the two. So in 1 John 4:20. The apostle John says this. He says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. If you hate someone and you say you love God, you are a liar and don't be mad at me, be mad at John. He said it. <laughs> You're a liar. Come on, you came to church to get yelled at today. Let's go somebody, come on. <laughs> I'm just playing. But the point is, if you love God and you hate your brother, you don't really love God. For he who does not or does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Okay, so for me, if I'm very honest, back when I was first called into ministry, which was about 11 years ago now, my passion for ministry wasn't really rooted in genuine love for people yet. It was more about just wanting to tell people that they're wrong and preach the truth. Okay, I just told you, I just yelled at you. So there's a little bit of that in there, but... The point is my love for people was very underdeveloped and it was immature and I believe that this was largely because I was so fresh with Jesus. I was overwhelmed by Jesus, all that stuff, in love with him but it was a very fresh and immature love and I hadn't developed enough yet in my love for him to actually love people in the way that he wanted me to but the thing I've noticed is as I've matured in Jesus, as I've grown to love him more, love for people just naturally overflows. It's weird, I can just be overwhelmed by his love for people. Random people I see on the street can just be overwhelmed. It's just a natural thing. As you fall in love with God, you fall in love with the people he's created in his image. It's just natural. I've certainly not arrived, but my heart is becoming more tender by the year. With that in mind, again, Jesus is making a simple point. We cannot separate love for Jesus and people. We can't do it. If you genuinely love Jesus, you'll love the people he's created. You'll love his image bearers. If you don't love people, you probably don't love God or you have a very and mature love for God. Okay, so what I've noticed in my years of following Jesus is people often try to separate these two things. On one end, you get people who claim to love God, but they view people as their enemies. They're judgmental and callous towards people, and they claim to be people who are, are guarding the truth, but then they hate people. On the other end, you get people who claim to love people, but they aren't concerned about pointing people to Jesus. Instead of being willing to speak truth and love, they would rather not say anything and let people continue in their sin. Okay, we have to keep these two things linked. If we get them broken up, it's gonna lead to tragic consequences. That's the only way, if we keep this linked, that's the only way our love will be genuine and filled with both grace and truth, which we wanna get both, right? We wanna get both of those things, not just one. If we can love God first, people second, and then all the other stuff after that, then we're gonna just naturally obey God and keep his commandments. We will live the lives that God created us to live. But the sad reality is is that's easier said than done because so many things, as we talked about at the beginning, so many things are fighting for our love. There is a war of loves happening in each of our hearts. Uh, We put success, personal pleasure, and comfort, money, and so many other things before Jesus and people So again, as you look at your heart this morning, consider the question, is Jesus your primary love? Is he your primary love? Has he won the war for your heart yet? If not, what would he have to do to win that war? What would be enough for him to win the war of your heart? Would him giving his very life for you be enough to win your heart? In Romans 5 8, Paul says this. He says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so Jesus loves you so much that, or that when you were at your worst, he gave his very life for you. He didn't die for you at your best. He didn't die for you when you're checking all the boxes, but he died for you at your very worst. He died for you knowing every terrible thing you'd ever do, and he'd do it all over again would go back to the cross all over again for you if you were the only person on earth he would die for you right in the midst of your filth and your junk not after you figure it all out but right in the middle of it he would die for you and the hope is that the death and sacrifice of Christ would not just pay the penalty for your sin not just get you into heaven but that it would be enough to to make Jesus the primary love of your heart that's the hope in 1 John four nineteen, John said this. He said, or he said, we love because he first loved us. Jesus is the initiator, right? We love because he first loved us. Jesus wins our love with his love. That's how he wins our hearts is with his love. He wins our affections by showing us that he's willing to do whatever it takes to redeem us. He's not a passive lover. He's not someone who says, I love you, but doesn't actually show it. But he's one who is willing to pay the ultimate price for you. Has Jesus won your heart yet? Has the gravity of what he did for you, has it really hit you yet? This is the primary call today as we look at Mark 12. It's not to work harder to love God and people. It's not to try to keep the law. It's to be so moved by what Jesus has done for you that, that you can't help but love him and love people The hope is that his great act of love would compel us to respond to it by loving him and people in the same way. John says it this way, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. Okay, he's saying, you know, this is love, Jesus on a cross, and that should compel us to lay our lives down for our brothers, and I'll throw in sisters too, because we have love sisters too, right? It's the ESV, they say brothers, but... You can forgive him later, but uh, so anyways, Jesus' sacrifice for us should compel us to respond by sacrificing ourselves for God and other people. It should compel us to keep the commandments. Okay, so with that in mind, what does it look like practically to love God and to love people? I don't think we need to look any further than this passage right here. If we wanna love God well, what's he say? He says we need to love him with all of our being. We need to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, so I just wanna look at each of these in turn here. Okay, so the first thing is heart, okay? So this comes from the Greek word kardia or kardia. And the heart is the center of all spiritual and physical life. It's like the center of who you are. It's the seat of our passions, desires, appetites, affections, and purposes. It can include our emotions as well. And the beautiful thing is Jesus has given us spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines that can help us stir up love in these different areas. And these are habits that can kind of help us fall in love with Jesus. They open us up to his love. And a practical way to stir up your love for God in your heart or in your affections and desires is to worship Jesus in song, right? We don't do that for no reason on Sunday morning. It's not like, hey, we just need to have music because that's what churches do. No, there's a whole book in the Old Testament called the Psalms that is all songs to God, right? It's an important part of our spiritual formation, our our being formed in Christ and growing in his love is worshiping him in song. It's to sing to him and to declare who he is. I encourage you to use that tool to help stir up love for God in your heart. And this is not a way to earn God's love, but it's a, it's a way to position yourself to receive love from Him so that you can respond to His love and obedience. Okay, so another way to love God is with your soul. Okay, so that's like the spiritual life. When, when Jesus calls us to love God with our souls, He's using the Greek word psyche, uh, which refers to the breath of life or the force which animates us. It's our spiritual lives. It can also refer to emotions a bit like we talk about with heart, they kind of overlap. And it can refer to our our feelings. A practical way to stir up your love for God with your soul or or, or with your spirit person is to pray, right? And this isn't just to ask God for stuff, right? A lot of us think of prayer as like: here's my list, God. I love all these things, thank you, amen, come again, bye-bye, you know, no. Prayer is just being in the presence of God, right? I love to sit in silence with the Lord and just listen to him, just be with him. I believe in that waiting on God, in that just sitting in silence, he, he comes to me in a powerful way and he speaks to my heart. Okay, so I wanna encourage you to practice that tool, uh, to use the tool of prayer to, or to love God or, or to learn to love God with your soul, okay? Another way to love God is with our minds, okay? So so that's like thoughts or knowledge. So all throughout the scriptures, we see the importance of being transformed in our minds and to grow in our knowledge of God. Paul will pray for the churches he's writing to in the New Testament. He he prays that they would grow in the knowledge of God. There's something about our knowledge, our our mind that that when it's transformed, we grow in love for God. So the Jewish people, they were fiercely committed uh, to loving God with their minds. You know, Jewish children, they would have to, or have to memorize the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible by the age of 10, all right? And you think our discipleship might be intense. That's, that's crazy, right? It sounds crazy. To us. I think it's great. I'd love to get there. Pastor Lexi, come on. Get it going. But, uh, but the point is, you know, they would memorize the Torah, and that includes Leviticus. If you've read Leviticus, you know it's not a good time. It's not enjoyable. You know, God comes to you in Leviticus never, right? I'm kidding, sometimes. But uh, it's great. That's the scripture. We love Leviticus, amen. All right, so, but the point is, love God with your mind. it's critical, and a practical way to do this, I think this one's a little bit obvious, but it is to spend time in the Bible to study the Bible. don't just like 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 flip and point, but actually study it. spend time reading it each day. work your way through books of the Bible and let it fill you with the knowledge of God. This would include scripture memorization, anything that can help you to uh, to remember and to learn the Bible okay. And, And then the last way that Jesus calls us to love God is with our strength. And and for this, I think of obedience or the will, like our personal will, our actions. To love God is to obey God, right? Jesus talks about that in John. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. To love God is to obey him. We must bring our wills into alignment with God's. A practical way to learn how to love God with your strength is to fast a meal every week. Right, that's a goal of mine. I haven't been doing very well this year. Pray for me. But I want to do better at fasting and meal each week because I believe it helps us to say no to our passions and to draw our strength from God. Right, You've got to do things that, that, that require God to come through. If there's nothing in your life that actually requires the strength of God, then you're not taking big enough steps of faith. And I believe that fasting is just one example of a practical way to love God with your strength, to learn to feast on him instead of feasting on your own desires, Okay, so spiritual disciplines, this is important. They're not obligations, but they are invitations into the love of God. They are vehicles by which we open ourselves up to God's love and presence. It's as if his love is being poured out, out of a faucet, and spiritual disciplines help bring us under the faucet of his love, right? It's a way to receive love from him because as we talked about, if we're gonna love God, we need to receive his love, right? It's a response to his love. Spiritual disciplines are a way to receive his love, and this is only an introduction into how to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but I hope it gets you started. And the key is that as you learn to love God uh, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you also love people, right? It's a natural overflow to, or to love your neighbor. So what does this look like? Well, I don't think we need to look any further than to how Jesus loved people. We should follow his example. As you're reading the Gospels, as you're reading the Scriptures and how Jesus loved people, you should say, Jesus, help me to love people in the same way that you did. And Jesus here, he says to love people as we love ourselves. That's another way to think of it. Just show people the same respect and care and kindness that you'd want them to show you. Try to put yourself in other people's shoes. Don't always just see things through your own perspective, but try to see things through their perspective. All right, so loving people, I thought of a couple of things. One practical thing a practical thing, is to love people sincerely. Okay, so Jesus, he, he loved people with such a sincere love. So in his interaction with the rich young ruler, it says that before he told him to sell his possessions, he, he looked at him and loved him, right? So this idea that he's looking at him, he's entering his world, he's actually getting into his heart and life. He, he's present with the rich young ruler. Okay, so love people sincerely, give them your attention, actually listen to other people talk and don't plan what you're going to say back, right? Be okay with some silence. I like to do that to people. They talk and then I just sit there And they're like, well, are you gonna say anything? I'm like, I'm just thinking about what you said. It's taking me a minute, right? I gotta think about what I wanna say back. All right, love people sincerely. Look at people, love them, give them your attention. And this is so hard in our social media culture, right? So many of our interactions are just curated and superficial. We need to take the time to actually get with people and to look them in the eye. And to genuinely inquire about their lives and then to listen. Loving your neighbor means giving them your attention. Okay, but don't just love them with your attention. No, you gotta take it a step further. Jesus, he also loved people sacrificially. Okay, so sacrificial, love other people sacrificially. Okay, so love, it's ultimately ultimately laying down your life for others, as John said in 1 John 3.16. It's being willing to put other people before yourself to sacrifice your needs for other people's needs. And this is so difficult in a culture that tells us that our personal comfort and happiness is the most important thing. Any discomfort in our culture is viewed as an enemy. It's viewed as something that's bad. And yet, as we've seen in Mark, life is actually found when we lay our lives down. If we wanna have life, we have to, de- we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. We need to do hard things and sacrifice our Own comfort for other people. Okay, the last thing is to love other people unconditionally. And this is the really, really hard one. Okay, so this means we love people not just when they're doing what we want them to do or are loving us well, but we love them no matter what they've done and no matter what we get in return. If we're going to love unconditionally, we're going to have to forgive a lot. There's going to have to be a lot of forgiveness flowing out of our hearts. I think that's why Jesus. Included it in the Lord's Prayer. He knew how important it was for our spiritual life to forgive people. We have to be willing to give people the benefit of the doubt. Okay, do you give people the benefit of the doubt or do you doubt that they have any benefit? You hear that this morning? Do you give people the benefit of the doubt or doubt that they have any benefit? We need to give people that. We need to to see the best in them. Don't go to the worst possible explanation for why they did what they did, but go to the best possible explanation. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Love them well. Love them well and love them unconditionally, be, or be willing to overlook their faults, be like a master of overlooking people's faults. As we experience the forgiveness of Jesus, we can't help but forgive other people. Unconditional love is so hard in our society where I think we're just very non-committal at heart. We don't want to commit to anything and we love to keep our options open and we tend to bail out as soon as things get hard. But Jesus, he calls us to go the opposite way of culture. He calls us to commit to people even when they're difficult, even when they're hard. If we wanna love people, just do these simple things today. Take time to listen, serve, and always forgive. That's a great start, right? And we'll talk about more in the future. But the call today is to love. We must love God and love people. And this is not in an attempt to be religious or to earn something from God but it's a response to the love that he's already shown us. Okay, so the main idea this morning is this, if you're taking notes, Jesus wants to win our love. He wants to win the war for our hearts. He wants our love. Okay, when I think of someone who has let Jesus become their primary love, I think of my friend Drew Meyer who spoke at the Holy Spirit conference back in February, if you were here during that time, which we're doing that again the last weekend of February is the plan, and his brother Tony is speaking. I love Myers, so we're going to bring his brother in, Tony. It's going to be amazing. The point is, I think of Drew Myers, someone who, who loves God and people, and the first time I had a legit conversation with him was about 10 years ago now, and it's right after my freshman year of college. We were both promoting Chi Alpha at a camp together. At the time, he was the Iowa State Chi Alpha director, and I was a student. I was a a freshman gonna be a sophomore and we're at this camp we got like two minutes before we're supposed to to share about Chi Alpha with the students and he says man tell me your story really quick we got a couple minutes tell me your story so I started telling my story like the really short version of it you know told him how Jesus really met me and forgave me at my worst I kind of just shared some of my struggles briefly and all of a sudden tears start to fill his eyes I'm like what is happening right now like we're in the uh, July summer, it's humid out here, and he's like crying because I've shared a minute version of my story. I just didn't really get it. And I remember I, it's marked me, that moment has marked me, and I said, God, I want to love people like Drew loves people. I don't know what that is. That's a much more mature love than the love that I have, but I want that. God, give that to me. Help me to enter into people's worlds and to actually feel what they're feeling. Help me to actually care and to actually listen and, and to love it. And the thing is, is, it's Drew loved me sincerely in that moment, but over the last 10 years, he has loved me sacrificially and unconditionally. He's someone that I call about once a week with, with something that I need help with or prayer, and he always answers. And here's the weirdest thing. I kid you not, there are times, like every time I want to talk to Drew, and not every time, most of the time, he calls me before I call him. And he says, the Lord told me to call you. I'm like, sweet, I was gonna call you anyway, so it's perfect. And there's times I don't call him because I think he's too busy for me, and he'll call me again because the Lord is telling him to call me. Right, he prays for me. I'm like, man, he's praying with me or praying for me so much that he's hearing God tell him to call me. He's loved me sacrificially, he's loved me unconditionally. There's lots of reasons why he could stop loving me, but he's kept loving me. And I just wanna be like Drew, who I think is a lot like Jesus, right? He he loves God and loves people. That's kind of what it looks like. That's kind of a window until into what it looks like to love God and people. And honestly with Drew, I just know it's an overflow. The people thing is an overflow because he's so passionate about prayer and the Holy Spirit and he just walks with the Lord. He actually wrote a book on prayer, which if you're interested, it's on Amazon. It's called Discovering the Power of Prayer. So this is a guy who is in love with Jesus and just overflows into love for people. Okay, so with that in mind, I just wanna return to my original question. What is warring for your love this morning? What is warring for your love? It could really be anything. It could be your comfort. It could be money, security, A relationship, politics, sex, achievement, your career, your family, it could be anything. And here's the thing, these things aren't all bad, right? But they can't be ultimate things. They can't take priority over Jesus. They can't be your primary love. They can't be your one thing. These things don't even hold a candle to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They don't hold a candle to him. These things will fail you, but Jesus won't. These things won't love you like you love them all the time. But Jesus always loves you infinitely more than you could ever love him. These things won't deliver on what they promise, but Jesus of Nazareth, he sure will. He will come through on his promises to you. Jesus must be your primary love. If he's not, you're always gonna be searching for more and for more and for more, and you're not gonna find it. You're not gonna find that thing that's gonna satisfy you. If you put other things over him, you'll never become the man or woman that God has called you to be. You'll, You'll never be able to step into God's dream for your life. But if Jesus becomes your primary love, the rest will fall into place. You know, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. If you put Jesus first, you'll be able to love others and become that person that he created you to be. But here's the thing, before any of that can happen, you need an encounter. I believe some people need an encounter with the love of God this morning. Okay, so maybe you came in here this morning and, and you don't know Jesus, yet you haven't stepped into relationship with him. And I pray that you would experience his love for you, even at your worst. Jesus Christ came out of heaven and he lived the perfect life and he died in your place on the cross, paying the debt for your sins and then he rose from the grave. And all you gotta do to step into relationship with Jesus, this is crazy, right? All you gotta do is just trust him. And making your king say, "Jesus, I accept what you've done for me," and then follow him. But I also think there's some people in here this morning who, who are already following Jesus, but you feel a lot of shame right now. You feel really guilty about what you've done in this last week, or maybe this last year. Uh, maybe you've been walking in unrepentant sin, or I don't know what it is. But but this morning, you don't need to try harder. You just need to experience Jesus and His love. I, I really believe that. I just sense that right now. I sense like this is in my notes, but I, by a sense that the Holy Spirit just wants to pour his love into your heart this morning. You're feeling so shameful, so down, you're beating yourself up, and Jesus is saying, if you only saw yourself the way that I see you. Because here's the thing, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, if you've accepted his sacrifice, if you're a son or daughter of God, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your junk. He doesn't see your filth. He doesn't see your sin, but he only sees Jesus, right? Because on the cross, Jesus, he took on our sin and then he gave us his righteousness. He gave us his righteousness so God can't even see it. He can't see your filth. He only sees his only begotten son who was perfect. Because if you're feeling shame this morning, just know that that is not from God. If you're feeling conviction, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's calling you up higher, that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing to, uh, to repent of our sins and to follow Jesus in the way that he wants us to go, but condemnation is not from God. In Romans 8:1 it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's none, nothing, no condemnation. It also says this, uh, just later on in Romans 8, it says, who can bring a charge against God's chosen people? This brings the idea of a courtroom, right? Like who can come and accuse God's chosen people? Satan can't accuse you, people can't accuse you, you can't accuse you, no one can bring a charge against God's people. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven and not guilty. Come on, come on. Think about what you've done this week. Think about your worst moment of your life. Jesus loved you in the midst of that. Has that hit you yet? I'm telling you, if you don't love God and people, it might be that God's love hasn't hit you yet. Because if you experience that love, you can't help but respond to it by saying, Jesus, take all that I am, take everything. I wanna love you, I wanna serve you. I know that you have my best interests in mind. I'll do whatever you tell me to do because I know that you got my back. You love me. Let the love of God hit you this morning. If you wanna obey Jesus, get under the faucet of his presence and his love. That is the key, right? I didn't start behaving once I tried harder, right? It wasn't because I was trying to be religious. It's because I encountered God's love when I was at my worst. That's what changed me. I got to this point where I had nothing to bring to the table. I wasn't religious enough. I wasn't behaving well enough. I was not a good Christian boy. And in that moment, God forgave me and that wrecked me. I said, if God could forgive me in this moment, I'll give him everything. I'll do whatever he tells me to do. I'm not gonna argue with him. I'll give him everything. And how could I not help but just love people who are struggling with some of the same things I struggle with? Come on, somebody, let's stand to our feet. Come on, let's praise God this morning for his love. Come on. Come on, we serve a God whose love is infinite, it's unending, it doesn't run out, and that needs to mess with us today and every day. Like the love of God needs to mess with us. So this morning, what I wanna do is I wanna respond to God in prayer here for a moment. All right, so if you uh, would just bow your heads and close your eyes, I wanna give you two opportunities to respond today to God's love. Uh, the first is this, if, if you came in and you're a follower of Jesus already, but if you're honest, you really need like a download of the love of God. Like you need an encounter with this love. You've just been carrying shame and condemnation around. If that's you, and you need to experience God's love, can you just raise your hand right now asking the Lord, saying, Lord, I just need your love this morning. God, see your people all across this room. They're raising their hands. God, we need your love this morning. Pour it into our hearts, as it says in Romans chapter five. Pour your love into our hearts. Help it to not even be a question if we want to obey because we know your love. Yes, Lord, pour it right now in Jesus' name. Pour it all across this room into every heart. Lord, you love us at our worst. You love us at our best. You love us in every moment. Help that to change us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Go ahead, put your hands down. The second one is for those who came in here and you don't have right relationship with God and you wanna make it right today. Maybe you once followed Jesus and you walked away or you've never followed Jesus. And today you need to surrender to Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you. And I accept what you've done for me. I repent for my sins. I wanna be in your family. If you wanna do that, if you wanna make Jesus the Lord of your life, can you just boldly right now, slip up your hand all across this room. All right, see that hand. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else today? Put your hand down. I'm just gonna pray a simple prayer of repentance and trust. And you pray in your heart. Just pray and say, Jesus, save me. I trust you. I repent of my sins. So Jesus, this morning we come to you and for those that just want to put their faith in you for the first time, or recommit. I pray that there would be new creations springing up all across this room. There'd be just new creatures coming to life as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. God, I pray that there'd be an understanding that our sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. God, I pray that you would just pour your love into our hearts and, and give us the Holy Spirit. Help us to be the sons and daughters that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, let's worship the Lord one more time. We got the prayer team available. We got the altars open. And I believe that God's gonna do some some supernatural things in these final moments. So go ahead and respond to the Lord.